Well, look, man, weekends, episode three, super pumped about the reception of the first two episodes and like just doing them have been a lot of fun. How was, uh, how was India? You're just getting back from a long, long travel. It was a dream. It was a dream, uh, kind of like once in a lifetime experience. The travel is brutal. It's basically like 72 hours logistically, either in flights or in the airport, 72 hours on the ground. So pretty tough trade, I'd say. Um, but it was, it was crazy. Like the, the wedding, there were like five different events over multiple days in multiple locations. We were in this place called, uh, Jaipur, India or Udapur, sometimes they call it, which is kind of known as this like luxury, luxury kind of like escape, escape for people from Delhi or Mumbai. And so just everything was crazy. Like the, we, we don't know how much the wedding cost, but it was, yeah, it was up there. It was, yeah, it was like like there were Indian people at the wedding. They were kind of just like most weddings are like this. This one is like this. Like this is not what all weddings look like. So I'm gonna make one of those clips, um, cutting together like a bunch of footage. But it was crazy. You can hear in my voice. I'm a little. Um, I'm a man down on the health front, but uh, we'll get there. But yeah, I think I think one good thing to talk about is that we were talking about before is kind of like travel and how. I have a love hate relationship with travel, I, and I want to hear your take too. My take is kind of like. I love exploring new places and I think getting new differentiated input, especially culturally, like when I went to Japan, like that is so helpful to, to kind of like spurring creativity and thinking about things different ways. So I love doing that, but I hate the act of traveling it. I feel like it completely disrupts routine health. Like my, I've get brain fog. It's like hard to eat healthily. So, um, I think like we can go into I'm curious how your mindset shifts like when you're traveling, if you've like found a good way to kind of come to terms with the fact that like, okay, my productivity is going to be down. I'm not going to have the output and you're okay with it or you struggle with it too because I, I still haven't found a way around it. I really struggle with it, man. The same thing. And like you were saying, you know, you get back and it takes like a couple of days to like really recover. It's like I've found the same thing. And, and obviously like the longer the trip, if it's overseas, definitely like I think last time I went to Dubai or Istanbul, I forget what my last overseas flight was but when i came back it probably took three days before i was like really back to the swing of things um but even now i found man i'll go to like these one day like uh when i went to new york last week or a couple weeks ago it's like it's like a one day thing it's like a 24-hour trip and i'm back and you know it's like all right i'm just gonna go up for the day for a conference but it's not really that man it really does take like two or three days you know, one day is like kind of like planning, getting prepared, especially now with like a kid, like dealing with all that, making sure that she's going to be set. Okay. Can we arrange for like somebody to come help? It's like, it really is like a 72 hour process for like a one hour or two hour conference or meeting or event. Um, and I really don't, I, man, I think they're like super counterproductive. Even if you're like a, a CEO of a startup or something like going to these events and conferences and, you know, maybe that's your job if you're like raising money or whatever, but I don't know, man. Yeah, I eat horribly. I cannot keep up with the gym. I don't know if you're if you're the same, yeah, but I'm I, I'm not in love with traveling anymore like I used to be. That's for sure. Yeah, I think I think the the interesting thing to me is like there's this legacy thought that you know business people like get deals done in person, right? That was the whole reason why I think business travel as an industry kind of blossomed was this idea of like when you you know, like they, like they say belly to belly, when you sit belly to belly with someone like at the table or whatever, you're able to close deals. And I do agree, like the in-person rapport is kind of irreplaceable. And so I, I get that, but yeah, man, the travel is just, I think the thing that the, the, the thing I found is 
you want to, if, if you're creating or building anything like with, with the normal job, it's fine. Like you can travel. And I think like you look forward to, if you're a salaried employee and you don't really care that much about the outcome, you look forward to like closing the laptop and not really caring. But if you're like one of us, or if you're listening to this, you're a builder entrepreneur, like you, you kind of have your own thing and you, every minute you're not spending productive is kind of like antithetical or, uh, you know, antagonistic to your success. What I find is like, all you want is to maximize time, like in the pocket. I call it like in the pocket and that's called like a flow state or whatever is like when you're firing on all cylinders and a lot of those nonsense of life is kind of like taken care of or you have a routine, you're in the pocket. And so a normal week, I spend like 30 to 40 hours in the pocket and that's when I can be like most creative because a lot of the conscious stuff is taken care of. And so I can like really be diving deep into these, into these rabbit holes, into these different like storylines, whatever, for making videos or whatever it is. But when you travel, you're never in the pocket. Like you're in a place you don't know. You're, you have no routine. All of your things are different, even like in the airport, not in the airport. It's just crazy. I think the brain fog is crazy. Like there's just a million reasons, you know, why it's bad. But, um, you were talking about, you used to be like a travel creator, travel influencer, where it was your job. Like not only were you traveling for fun, but it was your job to go to these places and document. And, how are you able to keep up with that? Like was the majority of it kind of like images on Instagram? And so like, because it was photos, it was a little less required of for you to be like super lucid a lot or like what, how, how do you, how do you yeah, think about that? It, it was interesting. Cause it wasn't really, it was like a side hustle in a way. So, uh, kind of like paint the picture at the time I had a, an app company. So we had like six or seven creativity apps that were doing really well. I think we were like at 60 K MRR or something like that. And we were like very remote based at the time we did have an office in DC, but it was like we'd get together maybe like once or uh, twice a week. It was at a WeWork in Clarendon, Virginia. And so I um, I realized I was like, man, as long as I have Wi-Fi, like we're at work, you know. And so like some of us, some of the people at the time just kind of like stay put. But I just started traveling, right, because I loved it. Um, and this was even before I met my wife. Uh, this was like, I would say 2015. And I met her like in 2017. So I'd like be traveling all over the place. And there was like a three-year period and I've told this story where I was building, my account at the time was at G. It was one letter on Instagram. It was at so G. Dope. And I built that account to uh, 200,000 followers from scratch. And it's kind of an unfortunate story. I, had a, I told the story on, on my YouTube. It's still up. But um, it was like three years of building, probably, you know, 400 uploads. I don't know how much. I probably visited 20 countries. It was like very much in the travel lifestyle. But it was also like technology content. Like I'd always talk about how I'm building our apps, how we're like putting our company together, this and that. Um, and then Instagram just like swiped it overnight one time, but, and I, we can go into that story, but like it's on, it's on my YouTube, whatever. But also I had two big Instagram accounts. One was called paradise. The other one was called room porn. One was interior design. One was travel. And so we'd have, I'd have like, as kind of a side hustle, but more than anything was like, this is the time of my life that I can travel and explore and like just create dope content. So it was like, just really kind of like this you know, labor of love, passion project. Um, but we, yeah, we'd get a lot of clients in, man. We'd build, um, you know, it's like a lot of resorts, tourism boards, stuff like that, that we'd make content on behalf of, um, like furniture companies, which I mean, like still at my house today, like all, almost all of our furniture came from room porn, just like creating content. Behind. So we awesome. have like top of the line furniture, all that. But, um, one thing that I noticed throughout the process, man, when I travel now, and now that I have a daughter, it's going to be like really, really exciting again to like see the world through her eyes. But I don't know if you feel the same. I, w I wanted to ask you, like, I kind of feel like social media destroyed a little bit of the allure and the mystique behind travel where, man, I can I can only imagine like before social media, like going to some of these places, how special it must have been. 
Um, now it all seems just like very commoditized. I feel like anywhere in the world, like you've seen a million times on your feed or especially me when I was like following a lot of travel creators and I don't know, man, it's like, um, and I also think culture has almost been equalized as well because everybody's kind of tracking what everybody's doing on social media. So like that mystique is gone. I don't know if you found that when, when you travel. I agree. I think the, the reason why like hole in the wall places are so desirable is because you don't know what you're going to get. Like that mystery is, that's what it's all about. I think like you go on these mini adventures and like, you don't know where they're going to take you. And with a lot of the travel today, it's been so overly documented. And and to some extent, the reason or how people plan trips is based on the content they're seeing on social media. Like they're going to spots because they saw they were cool. And so your expectation of that, since you saw like someone's processed photo or video is never going to match the reality. And even if it did, you already kind of know. So like, there's no surprise. I was thinking, this is like a random, random tidbit, but have you ever heard of this thing, Spreza? It's like a newsletter. Uh, I think it's written by this guy, Clayton Chambers. You, you should check it out. It's sick. It's like men's fashion, lifestyle. He And I don't know how big it is, but uh, I've seen it a couple times. Like I subscribed to it. And at the bottom of his newsletter, he had this section called Mystery Links, which was just like the number one, two, three, four, five with a hyperlink. You had no idea what it was. And I found like, I read the whole newsletter, didn't click on anything. But when I got to mystery links, I clicked every single one of them. Cause I, in my head, I was like, there could be gold here. Like, I don't know what it is. And that's a good, like a shout out, shout out Clayton Chambers, shout out Sprezza. I, I'm, I'm not even that big of a fan yet of it, but I think, I think I'm going to be cause there's the way he put it together. But the idea of this, like, maybe we should steal that. That's what I was thinking. We might bite that Clayton. Yeah. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that, uh, but that's, that's hilarious. Like that, that's how I think about travel too, is like when you go somewhere and you don't know what it's going to be like, it's like a mystery link. The anticipation is, you know, it's, it's what it's all about. You go, you're finding places you've never seen. You're seeing views you've never seen. You're taking hikes, whatever you're going to restaurants and bars you've never seen. That's sick. But when the whole thing is planned out for you, when you have the whole itinerary, you kind of yeah. can visualize without even going what it's going to look like because of social media. There, that's not a mystery link, right? That's like the same link that everyone's posted. There's no, there's no magic there. So I think that's why, to your point, like that's why social media has kind of taken the allure away. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember 2016 going to Iceland, and I've always wanted to go my whole life, right? And because um, it was this, there's like this jaggedy rock at this beach. It's called in the in this town called Vic. It's like this um, black sand beach, and I just remember seeing it when I was young. I forget some magazine or something. Finally, 2016, get around to going. And yeah, man, you know, I've been seeing a lot of, I got even hype from like all these social media pictures, like this dramatic isolated beach in the, in this remote, mysterious corner of the world. But then you get there and there's like 200 tourists just sitting there with tripods. It's like, yeah, man, the, the allure of it was really just kind of uh, stripped away with like social media, unfortunately. And so now it's like, yeah, when, when we travel, obviously there'll be just like the more, I right, we want to go to, we just want to go unwind. You know, take little girl to, to some beach somewhere, whatever. It doesn't have to be like all alluring. Um, but what I'd love to do, like with my wife, like is, is to figure out some trips that are like that, that not that nobody does, but just like something really, really random, something a little bit different. So say if we go to Japan, yeah, maybe we'll do all like the regular stuff. But can we find like some village somewhere like remote off the cuff? Like we did this in Italy. We went um, to Tuscany. We were just driving around like these little uh you know, villages that are like off the main path. You could tell like tourists don't go there and we just go and have like tea and we go to like a pizza shop or whatever. And that was really exciting to me more so than like going to the museums in Florence with 10 million of the tourists, you know? So I don't know, just to, 
I've, I've been thinking about that a lot, man. Like the way that social media has drastically altered the experience of travel. Yeah. I mean, even in, I don't know if you saw this, but I, I when I went to New York, like three or four weeks ago, I took a day and like with no plans, I just walked video, around. Yeah. And I, and I, the, even that, like I, I've been in those neighborhoods and I've been through and been to a lot of those spots, but like just going without the intention of going somewhere, that's when like, a, a lot of subconscious ideas and creativity comes from that. But even even more basic than that, it's just more fun to not know where you're going. I'm finding that. Like a lot of a lot of people, they die for plans. Like they all I want is a plan. Like I want to I want to know where I'm going. But but the reality is like when you have a plan, you're almost always disappointed because the dopamine, like the the anticipation is never there. And so like you really yeah. don't get the dopamine release. So yeah, I mean I, I think you know that that's the travel piece is kind of like, I love being surprised by new places because it really does bring in this like really interesting inspiration. But I don't know if the trade-off's worth it from a frequency perspective, at least what we're doing. Like right now, we're on a we're on a travel, like the last couple of years, we've traveled like maybe twice a month and wow. like two to three international trips a year. We've had a lot of weddings that like took us out there to different places. But, and I'm like, I'm super grateful that we, we have the means yeah. and like we're able to do it. But like, I just want to be, I don't know. I think there's, there's something about when you're a builder or you're making shit that you really like, you just want to like lock yourself in and like go hard. Like, I, I don't know. It sounds weird, right? Cause someone's who's listening to this, who's working a job they don't like, they can't fathom working more. They're just like, why, why would yeah. you option yeah. work over travel? But I'm like, yo, I, for some reason, like I just feel a deeper connection and purpose to like grinding hard on something that I really care about. And travel, while cool, is fleeting, right? Like, it, it doesn't add to that journey. So, I don't know. I get this push-pull well, every time I go. Well, I got, like, three questions for you. So, like, um, and then we should get into the open AI stuff because what a, I mean, you, you didn't sleep because you were traveling. I didn't sleep because I was, like, trying to cover this <laughs> yeah. stuff. This was, a, this was a fiasco, man. Um, but the first thing that came to mind, you're right. I see this meme, and I can relate to so much. It's like, hey, I quit my 9 to 5 to work 24-7. It's like, cause that is what, what it is like entrepreneurship, man. It's not, um, it's really romanticized on social media and in pop culture, but it's actually not, it's actually not as advertised. Like it really is just like, you're, you're in the pocket. Like you said, you're, you're in, on the grind. One thing really quickly I want to say is like, you said, obviously deeply grateful that we have the ability to travel. I'm sitting here like ultimate first world problems. It's not mysterious enough for me when I go <laughs> yeah. to Iceland and Hawaii, like it sounds like such a, such a douche thing to, to say, but um, I wanted to ask, like, how do you, are you able to like truly just unplug for like three days, four days, or is there any like anxiety that creeps in? Cause I definitely get this where you're like, man, I should be grinding or I'm falling behind. Is there like any innate sort of like ingrained into you anxiety that comes with travel for the sake of unplugging? Yeah, I think, I think burnout's very real. And if you if you're working too much to the point of burnout, it actually like takes away from your productivity and, and not even product, but like your creativity and like your output. And so I'm definitely starting to realize that there is, there are points where if you go too hard, like you need to take, you need to really rest for, yeah. you know, one to three days. And like that actually is beneficial to the, to the business output. But I have just never been good at sitting still. Like I, I think of it this way. If, if I, if we had a weekend, and we went somewhere on like a Friday afternoon and we were back on Sunday afternoon. If there was no travel to and from, like if I could snap my fingers and go, I think I think for 48 hours, I could be like, yo, I'm not gonna touch anything. I'm not gonna bring my phone. I'm not gonna look. And I could be fine with that. Yeah. But I think post two or three days, some trigger inside me flips where it's like, yo, you're not, 
I, I don't know. I, I, some part of me thinks that, I don't know, this, this may sound entitled, but I feel like people who are naturally inclined to entrepreneurship, they have genetics, like a genetic makeup, like someone 500 to 1,000 years ago, those were the people that were like building new shit for the tribe. And like, if they didn't find a new way to invent the spear to kill the woolly mammoth, like everyone was gonna die. And so like in their brain, they were like, this is my mission, like I have to do this. And so instead of like kicking around the fire and chilling, they were like, you know, testing materials. Like I really believe that there's like some imprinting in certain people's DNA that have like a predisposition to do certain things. And for whatever reason, like we were given that for, we, we call it entrepreneurship now, but really it's just like building stuff from scratch. Like we were, both of us and anyone listening to this who's feels like a maker was given that ability or those genetics. And anytime, I, I think about this a lot, like you can't outrun your nature. And if your nature is that, like you have to be doing that or if you go away from it, your body's gonna, like your brain and body will like gravitate t- back towards it. So I think that's why, because like everything everything in the world is man-made, right? So like if, if there was no genetic pull or like some deeper pull, we should be able to like trick our mind into relaxing for 14 days. But like I cannot do it. I like can't find a way to to get myself to like fully let go. So I don't know if you feel that way as well, but I think there's something like deeper in in people who are naturally builders. Yeah, no, I suffer with this a lot, man. I get like, I get like deep anxiety, man. You get like, ask my wife, um, like day three, I'm like, all right, I really got to get back to work, man. I got to get back on the grind. Like there's only, there's only so much time I can sit here next to a pool looking up at the sun. Like it, it's, it's like, um, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I don't think it's anything to admire. I think it's probably a defect, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't feel good about it. And I, I, I also know that I need to, I need to have that time off. Like you said, it's important. I don't think anybody can really avoid burnout on the subject of burnout. Like I've been, I've been burnt out before. Um, I think there are like some ways that you can avoid it. And this is like what I'm trying to work towards. So I have noticed like when you're in it for yourself, when there's like, I think it's like, let's talk about it like specifically for creators. Um, I think this probably applies to a lot of entrepreneurs or other makers, builders or whatever too, but like creators, when it's like your North star is a number, either a follower or, or whatever it is, engagement, like nothing goes up into the right forever. I don't care who you are. Even Mr. Beast will come to a point where his views are no longer growing. His subs are no longer growing. By the way, that's an interesting conversation. I wonder how he deals with that, right? Because it happens to every creator at some point. And that's when burnout happens. And so what I've realized is like, if you can figure out, and this is what like, I'm, I'm like, desperately chasing over these next like 10 years is like a true true purpose like a mission and something that i'm doing um not for myself but i'm doing on behalf of others like in service to others and when you kind of switch that like right now i've really been like there was like a chemical switch in my brain when i had a daughter and now i'm like i'm in service to her there's nothing that i'm doing anymore that's like for myself i'm not here to impress anybody i don't need any material items i don't need anything like that i just want to like to literally just make sure that um, she's comfortable. My wife is comfortable. I'm able to take care of my family, all that. And that I feel like has dampened the chance for burnout to really set in because after like, I've been building, um, like the, the, the I do this, a whole nother story. When I was like building metaverse at the beginning, there was like all this drama. I was in it 24 hours trying to foster this community, whatever. I would have burnt out so bad if I was like in it for myself. And I, and I realized I was like, I'm actually burnt out, but it didn't affect me. Like I kept going. I even started working harder. And I'm like, wait a second, why am I more, why am I more like impervious to burning out right now? And I realize that my mission is now greater 
than myself. Whereas before it was like, I'm chasing this MRR or dollar sign or follower sign or whatever it was. And, and again, it always stabilizes. It's always a plateau or, or even a valley. Um, and I know this isn't like too coherent of a thought, but just like, those are some thoughts that I was thinking about recently about how to avoid burnout is like, you got to do it in service of others. That's really interesting. Cause during, I would say during the web three wave, I did burn out and, and I wasn't really doing it in service of others. So that, that is like a perfect, perfect parallel to what you're saying. And I think something I found is like you said, if you're, if you're, if you're chasing an output, you'll burn out much faster than an input. So like how that manifests in my day is like, I really, I really enjoy when, when my head hits the pillow at 11 PM, if I can look back at the day and be like, I, I pursued an input hard today. And like that input is like, did I make a video or did I work out hard or whatever, like whatever the things I can control to inputs. If I, if I go hard all day and like do my best, I feel good about that. Even if I'm tired, like being tired and burnt out, I think are two separate things. Like I want to exhaust myself mentally and physically so that when I go to sleep, I feel like I chased hard. So I can do that for a while. Even then, like if you stack 30 of those days in a row, you probably need a break. But the way I think about trying to beat burnout is like every Saturday I don't work. So like we'll do something fun and I'll, I'll be filming clips and stuff for the, for future videos. But I, I really don't, I try not to work. I try not to look at email. I try not to like fill that day. And so every seven days I'm getting one day off at least, which is like helpful to break up the burnout. And then yeah, I mean, people are different, but I think like if I can get one day off every seven days and then maybe like one weekend off every six to eight weeks, you know, I don't need much more than that. Like vacations are fun and like I want to travel like we were talking about. But like I said, I, I feel like predisposed where in a weird way, like I feel sicker in my head if I don't pursue something. It's weird. It, it is definitely like a defect, like you're saying. I agree. Like, I agree. And so, yeah. and so like burnout doesn't come unless I don't do those things, like unless I don't pursue, to be honest, like if I get more burnt out on a four day vacation than I would working like 14 days in a row, which is weird. If I'm working on the thing I want, I got burnt out a lot at my old job because I hated it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're, if you find yourself getting burnt out more than you, more than you think is right, it probably means you're working on something that you shouldn't be working on. Yeah, man, I agree. Um, that's really interesting. I wanted to ask, like, what, what is your, because you're like a really ambitious guy, right? And you have big plans over the next 10 years. You got big, big plans. What is, what is the motivational force behind that, right? Like, is, is, it, is it status? Is it money? Is it being in a position to help? Like, what, like, have you, have you like actually sat down and like looked deep inside? Like, what, are, what is the fuel yeah. right, that you're running on right now? Dude, I, I'm glad you asked it. I just wrote about this in the, in the newsletter like one or two weeks ago. And so I, I was able to like crystallize, like sit down and crystallize this. So there's three reasons why I'm, why I'm doing this. The, and like arguably the order, but we'll just say the, the first reason I would say is for me, which is like, like we've been saying, I feel like I was put on this earth to make stuff. And the reason I was like sadder in my twenties when I was like working a, a job that where I wasn't making stuff and I like didn't have the right incentive structure, I was, like I said, detached from that nature. Like it was, it was as if I was a plant and I was being put in a room with no sunlight and I was trying to like bend towards the light, but I couldn't find the light because I was being surrounded by stuff that I wasn't passionate about or didn't want to, couldn't make. So the first reason is just like, I think I was put on this earth to make stuff and like, I want to be in a capacity where I can make it. So that, that has nothing to do with money. That's just purely like, you know, traits. 
The second reason I say is for, for my like immediate family. And, and that's basically like, I want time freedom from, for my immediate family. So my wife, eventually kids, in-laws, parents, brother, like kind of that, like immediate circle. I want enough money to where any of those people can have full-time freedom. That doesn't, that might mean they still work because they like want that as their purpose, but like they're taken care of. Those immediate needs are taken care of. So that's like a purely financial incentive, but it's not just for me. It's for like that immediate circle. And then the third idea, which I'm curious to get your take on is around this idea of legacy where I've never really resonated with when people talk about legacy, like what will people think of you in a hundred years? Like, I don't really, I don't really care about that at all. Like I've never felt like a deep, like I need names on buildings or whatever, but this concept of, um, I, I coined it something. I forget what I did in the newsletter, but this idea of like, oh, a, a generational inflection point is what I call it. So like any, any family that has generational wealth, there was some badass motherfucker in that family tree that like changed everything for that family. Like they decided they're like, I'm him or like I'm her and I'm going to dedicate my life to changing the trajectory of this family. And for generations after that, the rest of the family had like opportunities that they didn't have before. Money is like one thing, but like doors were open. They had status, they had opportunities. And like, maybe that's a great, great grandfather that these, the kids that are alive today never knew, but like that guy's got a picture on a wall somewhere. And like everybody in that family knows like that dude changed the course of my family's trajectory. That's sick to me. Like that idea is so sick. And if, if I can, if I can do those three things, if I can like make dope shit, Get, earn time freedom for me and my immediate family and like change the trajectory of my future family. Like that's more motivation than I can put in the cup. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I think about it. Holy shit, man, dude, you articulated that so well. Like I'm, I'm completely on board with that. I think like, it's funny. Cause like, that's exactly what I have in my head, but you just articulated it really well to the point where I'm the same way, man. I know that, uh, if I were to die today, nobody outside my immediate family would I, like, after eight hours, I'd probably never be talked about again. Like nobody cares, bro. Like it really is true. Like anybody, even, even the biggest names in the world today, man, um, shit, the queen, the queen of England died two days later. Nobody cared anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It's, um, so when I think about legacy, it's the same thing. It's like legacy is, is the position that I'm putting in my family. And when I think generational wealth, it's actually more than, than money. Because if you study this, this is also a really interesting conversation. Like most families, who accrue this generational wealth by generation like two or three, they're like going broke because what does not get passed down is that emotional intelligence is the, the ideas, it, you know, like everything the else, hunger. all the other intangibles, the hunger, the, um, the process, the, the mindset, um, you know, and like, so if, if you just pass money down, it's just going to get burnt, man, because you're not teaching the skills that earn that money in the first place. And so, nah, man, you, you nailed it, dude. I mean, the other, the other thing that comes to mind is like when I was like 15 years ago, I heard this from Tupac. And when he said this, it blew my mind. And I'm like, this is, this is kind of where I, I trend towards. It's like, he said, I'm not going to be the one that changes the world, but I'll guarantee you I'll spark the seed. Oh, man, I want to, I want to, I want to like get that clip. Yeah. How he said it. He said it just, I mean, it was Tupac, you know, everything he said was was like gold. He's like, he's like, I'm not going to change the world, but I can guarantee you I'll spark the seed that does or spark the idea in somebody that does. And so, yeah, man, I mean, this is all like, you know, very existential introspective, but stuff that I've been thinking a lot more too, because I really want to be strategic 
um, these next 10 years, which I think are gonna, uh, like these next 10 years, I think are going to be, have to be my best 10 years. I don't know if you agree because it's like, or even let's say like 15, 20, because like I, I, I'm still young. I still feel very young. I have energy. Um, it's like my experience is to a point where like, I, I don't know. I don't want to like go too deep into this. I don't know if you feel the same way, but how I, I put a lot of weight and into these next 15 years. Like I'm putting a lot of sort of pressure behind yeah. it. I, I agree in the sense of like, I, I really want these next 10 to 20 years to be the, the, the operant. Like if, if it's going to take 30 years to do the hockey stick, like I'm willing to make those 10 to 20 years, the bottom part, that's like really hard work to get there. And I, I agree. Like the, if you want compounding to, to go, you got to, you got, we got to get started right now. I don't put a ton of pressure on, myself for these 10 years only because I don't know there's something weird flipped in my head like four months ago where I was just like we talked about the last episode like I know I'm gonna win like you're gonna win I'm gonna win we're gonna win like I just I just have this like it's not like when like if we do these things we might win it's like I know we'll win so it's just a matter of like I agree if that's decided like if if and like that could be like as woo woo as like universe decided or just like you decided mentally like I've decided like I'm gonna win so I, I try not to put too much pressure on like what the timetable for that is. Cause I just know like if, if we bring this much intensity and, and couple that with our existing skill set, we're going to win. I don't know if that'll be, I hope it's in like five to 10 years and like, then we can decide. But like, I find it hard to close my eyes and picture a world where I'm like on an Island doing nothing per what we were saying before, just cause like, yeah, because of that never. nature, I'll be, I'll be working till the day that I die. Exactly. And like maybe work is the wrong word, you know, but I will be pursuing my creative interests until the day that I die and trying to solve creative problems and hundred percent. There there will be no, I'm going to go sit at a beach resort and play golf for 20. That, that's yeah. obviously not going to happen. Um, but no, nah, man, I love the way you say that. I, I completely agree. And like having that mindset shift, like I know for sure going to go after, I'm going to go after it and I'm going to get mine. It's like, I'd, and I'm with you. I'm very patient. I don't know if it happens next year or in 20 years. I don't really care just because I... I have truly like I, anybody listening to, I want this ingrained in your brain because I think I've already won because I've fallen in love so deeply with the process. I bro, I love the process. I love the journey. I love eating shit. I love the uphill battle, right? I love climbing the, the mountain. I don't know. I really, I'm a little bit worried. Like if the day comes that I feel like I've achieved all of my lofty goals, like will I be fulfilled? Right? Because I, I truly, truly have like fallen in love with the journey. I love failing. I love, I love everything. I just, I love the process, bro. I love waking up every, up every day and trying to tackle this. And, you know, I think God willing, as long as I stay mentally and physically healthy, I'm feel the same way as you, man. I don't think there's a chance that I, I can not win. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, and I feel strongly the same with you, man. And I, and, and that fuels me just because I really, really, really love the process. Yeah. I mean the, the like, the way I think about it is like the game is the game, like being able to play the game. Correct. That's the whole, yeah. like that's the whole point. That's uh, so, yeah, I, I think the, the that. thing that I in reflection is like in my 20, like, it's not like we were born this way. Like in my twenties, early twenties, I didn't have and even like late twenties, I'd say I didn't have a skill set where I could confidently be like, I'm going to win. Like I could have the delusional self-belief, but I didn't really have like anything to prove to myself that I could now having done whatever I've done this far. And you like, I think this is less than 1% of where we'll be of course, but like 
we've crossed the chasm of whether it's skill set or you've just like seen you've lifted up the veil and you've seen the game and you're like oh, okay yeah I, I can win that game but like before you lift it up you're st you're still gonna have doubt so like if you're listening to this and you're like I want to be like them I want to be an I want I feel innate that I'm a builder but I don't feel a hundred percent confidence it's just because you haven't yet built up the skill set or like you haven't been able to lift the curtain yet but if you keep going and don't stop you will be able to lift that curtain as soon as you lift the curtain you'll be like oh shit there's a long way to go a lot of mountains to climb but like i've got all the gear i need or like i have the mindset to acquire whatever the gear is so yeah i mean it's it's really fucking fun being at the beginning of the game but knowing that you're gonna play it forever and that's the to me the goal is just like can I stay mentally and physically fit and like have enough money to be able to play the game the whole time? And I think I have like a weird take on goals. I actually think goals are um, not super helpful because a lot of like goals, are, I don't want to say they're not helpful at all, but like this is my take on goals. The way like the brain brain chemistry works, I guess is I think is you set a goal and the climb towards that goal is where the dopamine is released. And then the second before you achieve the goal is like max dopamine, then you achieve it. And as soon as you achieve it, you go into like a depression because you're like, oh shit, what's next? And so what you want to do is maximize that climb time. So if you set really small goals, like daily stuff of like what I want to do today, that's fine. But like, let's say you set really achievable every week or every month goals. You're not going to get a lot of that climb time. You're going to get a lot of like hit and drop, hit and drop, hit and drop. But if you set like one arguably unachievable goal you're climbing the entire time and even if you never get there it doesn't matter because the dopamine release comes on the climb it doesn't come on the on the achievement so like another way of saying that is like the you know like the life is like the journey not the destination is like that i think that's why is because people get so sad because they set these they try to game the system where they set these hittable goals and when they hit them they're like why don't i feel happy well the you don't feel happy because the happiness is actually released during the achievement. And so like the harder you, the harder it is, the more happy you'll, or the more fulfilled you'll be, I think. So that's why like, I have a hard time setting like, what are my goals, right? Like, like how much money do I want or like whatever? I, I don't even really think about it like that. I more just think like, all I want to do is just like stay on the mountain and not fall off. Bro, that is the game. That's why a lot of these professional athletes get like a little bit depressed after their careers. These guys go out and win one championship and they're happy for five minutes. And then they realize, oh, wait a second. The goalposts have moved now. That guy's got two. I want two. And then you're three, then you're four, then you're Kobe getting five. Wait a second, I need six. MJ's got six. And so these guys are never truly, I don't think, like fulfilled. And what I saw with, with Kobe, again, he's like my favorite, you know, like athlete of all time, RIP. Um, but he actually was like fulfilled after the game because he had a new climb, right? He had a new venture, entrepreneurship. And he was, again, like obsessed. He found that. And also just like raising his family and, and, and you know, being an incredible leader for that family structure. Um, but again, like he needed to find immediately. He, he understood this very intimately. He's like, I need another mountain to climb now. Because um, again, exactly right. And this is why sometimes I see on social media, I don't agree with this, even though I understand the reasoning when people are like, stop setting these unrealistic goals, stop going for a hundred million dollars. Just, just say you want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year in the next five years. And I'm like, wait a second, that I, I, yeah, I actually I don't agree, don't agree with, that. with that. I agree with you because as soon as you hit that re very realistic, achievable goal in a five-year time frame or 10, whatever it might be, you're not satisfied because immediately the goalposts change. 
And I saw this growing up. Like, I, I was a very, very, again, like, I consider myself a late bloomer. I, I feel like I lost a decade to, to, like, PTSD and all this other stuff. And I immediately, when I first started, like, my career, I was comparing myself to my immediate peers who had, like, you know, cushy jobs, nine to five at, uh, you know, the big four accounting firms or whatever it is. And, go to, and as soon as I eclipsed that, my goal was just to, like, be on the even keel with like those people, I guess like financially, whatever. As soon as I clipped that, I wasn't happy because now I was on Twitter comparing myself to these <laughs> other guys, who, you know? And so, um, Justin Kahn, he freaking sold Twitch for $970 million. And he talked about this. He said, I sold a company for a billion dollars and I went to a deep depression and he realized because he was no longer in that journey playing the game. And he wasn't, he wasn't happy because he was now comparing himself to his peers and contemporaries who were running Dropbox and running Facebook and running Google. And he was like, a billion isn't enough. My friends have a hundred billion dollar company. And he immediately fell into this depression and he talks about it candidly and he calls it the hedonic treadmill, which I love that. I don't know if he coined it or if he heard it somewhere, but I love that term, the hedonic treadmill, where it's just constantly like you're never fulfilled. You're never happy. Um, and um, so he, I mean, to, to put it succinctly, the game is the game. Like you said, yeah. I love that. That needs That's to be a bar. on or something. That's, That's a bar for sure. The, the hedonic treadmill is, it's, it's, it's tough to outrun. That's the thing is like, because, because the reality is like, we can say that. It's actually yeah, impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's just like a hamster yeah. wheel. And the, the thing is like, we can say right. that the game is the game. Like we can say that we can think that and believe that. But even us, like there's a, there's a money number that like I want to hit so that I can do nice thing, buy nice things and do nice things. And when I hit there, I'm going to, there's gonna be nicer things that I don't have. And so it's like, it's almost like it's a trap no matter what you do, because you know, that the game is the game and like, you're never going to be happy, but there are things in life that like you want, like most people are not going to be able to play the game, but also like live in a van and have nothing and be okay with that. Like most people want, you know, like the, the escalator of, of niceties and luxury is like, is very real. So it's definitely like hard to it's hard to rationalize both of those, but, but I do think if the sole reason you're doing something is to chase, chasing money is like the easiest one to say because a lot of people have gotten money and a lot of those people are sad, but there's a lot of things on the hedonic treadmill that, you know, like status and power and like all these things that I think, I think they all leave you pretty empty, but I'm curious, like, oh, go ahead. I, I, um, my, my, uh, what is it? A grand, not a grandparent, uh, my my dad's sister aunt, yeah. aunt right <laughs> or aunt, aunt. so my aunt and her husband man they're kind of like off the grid off social media they live in canada every time i go visit them they're like the happiest people in the world they get together with their neighbors they play bridge they laugh they drink they you know they they're retired now they were like realtors and i look at them and i'm like that is true happiness like they have one you know and I don't know where I'm going with this, but then I look at some people that I know very intimately. I have friends who are, you know, very, very wealthy. I don't know that I admire their lifestyle so much, right? And they're always like, I can tell there's always, there's like something missing from them. And so I definitely know for sure that money isn't like the answer. But as you say, I think what, what I value more than anything is the time freedom and creative freedom. Like if I, if I could, if I'm looking like 10 years from now, where do I want to be? I don't know. All I know is that I want to have a full day just to think creatively. I don't want to have to do anything that I don't want to do. I don't want to sit in two hour meetings that I don't want to be in. I just really want all of my time to pursue whatever it is that I find interesting that keeps me in the game. Um, but yeah, man, I, I don't know if you have anything more to add. Otherwise, That's why, we should... 
cover some of this open yeah the only other thing i was gonna say is that's why a lot of rich people that you that we admire are like they say like i spend a lot of my time thinking like because basically they buy the they buy the freedom to spend their time thinking which is like pretty sick 100 one thing i want to ask you before the opening i stuff though and we can save for another pod if if it's easier to like wait but i know you've talked about before when you were building those instagram accounts like the way things were back then with social and like the business models and like how it worked and like selling them and whatever like there's a whole like interesting you know almost like module there of just like to hear your experience doing that because i think the the social media game has changed probably five times since that era but like during that era it was way different so do you want to talk about before we go into open ai stuff do you want to talk about just like like what it was like back then and then like what the what the winnable approach was and like how far you got and like what you know what you at the peak like how many accounts you were running and what you were selling them for and stuff yeah the the winning approach would have been to have leaned into it way way more and the reason that i didn't was because i thought that instagram would eventually come and shut all these accounts down like they were kind of like anti-meme account kind of anti-curation account and then and I think TikTok kind of like pushed them towards us a little bit, but then they leaned into them super, super heavy. Now, so first of all, back then it was so easy. It was so easy. Today, I, I, we we can talk about it now, or maybe we can into a different pod. But I have like a blueprint on how to do it today. But it's very, very difficult, and you have to you have to pick like a very fast growing or or, or specific. You're talking niche. about like to build. Like if you're gonna start pages, like kinda? like a Luna and Metaverse. Yeah, like like when I started Paradise as an example, it was literally this easy. I would post every six hours these would hit the explore page or the popular page i think it was called at the time i had to do nothing there was no page spend there was nothing it was just literally i would post and i would leave and i'd come back and it and i'd have like three thousand more followers like every day i was going like five thousand followers it was just that easy because there was an arbitrage there was way more um demand than there was supply right this is when instagram was like probably adding like 10 million new accounts a day or whatever it was iphone sales were going crazy smartphones blah 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 and so yeah, man, that, that's really what it was. It was just a supply versus demand thing where there wasn't a lot of people posting, a lot of content being created, but there was so much consumption. So it was very, very easy to do. Any idiot could have done it. So like anybody who, who grew a big page before, say like 2019, it's, it's not impressive. And I know like I'm, you know, it was just not impressive. I would just These post. were like still images. And so that's mostly. why, I, yeah, yeah, all like still images, very little video. Video at the time was not, was not performing well. Um, and so I built like probably 10 accounts doing this very same thing. The biggest ones were like paradise room porn. I had one called hoop films. It was a basketball one, like reposting NBA moments. I had one actually called friends caps. Um, that was like approaching a million followers. I think that was one of the most engaged. I would just literally post like images of a friend scene with like a caption, (laughs) right. And people love friends. So it went crazy. And then I actually sold that account for a lot of money. And I feel bad because the person who bought it like two weeks later, Warner Brothers or whoever owns Friends took like the top 10 biggest Friends pages and merged them into the at Friends that you have today. So that wasn't built from the ground up. That was like 20 Friends accounts that were like merged all together and taken from. And so like, whatever, they own the copyright. You couldn't do much about it. But what I wanted to say is like at that time, I wish I went crazy into this, right? And I hired people, brought in resources, da, da, da. I was always a little wary because I just thought, especially like after the Friends things, I was like, Instagram's just clamping down on these kind of pages. They don't really... They don't really care. But my friends who stayed in, like Kit from Puberty, and now he has like memes are Puberty, probably has 100 million followers in his network of pages. And now he's got, you know, 30 employees doing 
you know, I don't, I don't know if his numbers are public, so I can like tell you later, but I, I just met with him in New York and he told me the numbers he's doing. And I'm like, my God. Um, and that would have been the best course of action because he was, again, a builder at the time. But he was like, I'm going all in on this. He had 100 percent pure conviction where I thought, nah, you're one algorithm change away from death. Because in 2011 or 12, and I wasn't part of this scene, but I had friends um, who were, who I then met through this game, and everybody was doing the same thing on Facebook, like building these kind of pages on Facebook, in zero to a million overnight. And then Facebook made an algorithm change that effectively killed off all these pages overnight, and they became worthless. I thought the same was going to happen with Instagram. That's why I sold off all these pages. I was just kind of like milking them for, for ad revenue, sell them, that I wasn't like all in. But I wish I did go all in. Because now I could have probably been sitting on an empire of like an audience of 200 million. So th- this is a really interesting, interesting thing to, to, to dive into, right? So like, because I think the, the idea in my mind, like my native reaction is like curation is valuable, but not as valuable as like a faced page, mostly because people can't relate. I can talk yeah, to that and, and too. And that may not be true, but like my, because I think it's helpful to like, try to recognize like okay when you hear something what's your default bias like which direction do you default lean towards and then like what would the other side be so like my default bias when i hear this is like okay those would be quick to grow but like tough to have deep brand affinity for and like easy to be ripped off because you have no like loyalty and affinity the same way that like there's a million ai you know ai tech news newsletters and like people people think those are commoditized so the, the question then if that's my bias the other side would be like, okay, your friend Kit, who's obviously figured out a way to make it work and like roll them up, how is he doing it? Or is he just like so big that the ad dollars with with low loyalty is still like a good model? Like what what is his what is his secret sauce or like how would he rebut that what I just said? Yeah, we, we we're talking about that a lot too. I mean with puberty right now, his main his main goal is brand, right? Is to just build that brand equity. And like I think he's actually been doing that sort of successfully and like in a world the world that we live in is very like, there's a lot of perverse incentive structure on social media. And so that's why you see like on Twitter, uh, a lot of dramatic shit, controversy, fights. This is the kind of stuff that'll pop up on your feed um, where his content is like, he was really leaning into like the wholesome content, right? And so I think there's actually a, a, a big space in the market for that. But that is what he's going through because he's realized with like puberty, it's like they got this enormous distribution power. How can you leverage that distribution? And so now they're thinking about building long form uh like formats and um, you know, like maybe YouTube shows like well-branded YouTube shows, whatever it is. And like using the short form to drive attention into their long form formats where I think like a lot of the money is now he's thinking about events. Cause one thing I learned recently, like the biggest media companies in the world uh, for the most part, they're actually biggest revenue drivers at time, physical events, of course, right? conferences, um, my least favorite thing, conferences. It's, oh man, it's, it's a, it's a cash cow. And so, um, when you're talking about curation, I actually think curation is incredibly valuable. Like an account like, um, I try to do this with Metaverse, uh, but an account like Complex, I'm such a big fan of. Because if there's anything going on in the culture, like some stuff popped up with P. Diddy, like Diddy the other day with Cassie and all that. And trying to get a gauge of the culture, I still think the best cultural gauge are the Instagram comment section. I really do. Like I've, I've seen it like when I'm trying to get a gauge of like what's hot politically is a pendulum swinging from like, you remember the right used to be like super toxic. If you were like a yeah, Trump yeah. supporter, you might as well have been a Nazi. But now if you're like a Biden guy and I see this play out on Instagram comments. And so just just like being I, I like I'm like a practitioner here. Like I read Instagram comments all day because it gives me like the pulse of the culture. Um, and so curation gives you, I think, the ability to like 
to to piece that all in one place. I don't know if that that's like super that, that's well said, but at the same go ahead, sorry. But at the same time, like as soon as I went from these faceless media pages and media brands into my own personal brand, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, it, it's been like a hundred x more impactful. Like the inbound, the opportunity flow, the uh, I call it the opportunity engine, everything that's opened up for me just making these dumb little videos over the last 10 months has been 10x more impactful than anything that's ever happened building like these faceless media brands. Um, and so anybody listening, if you are building faceless content, first of all, you can make a lot of money. It's a good little side hustle, blah, 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 whatever it might be. But leaning into yourself as a brand is always going to be of more consequence. And so, and so then my thought would be one of the benefits of building up these like page networks or whatever let's say like your friend has 20 you had like 10 let's say a you can kind of hedge because if one stops working or you get one taken away like you're not not all the eggs are in one basket also you can go to brands and like cross sell across them do like package deals so like one of the ways we're looking at trying to build <clears throat> sorry one of the ways we're looking at trying to build kind of like a media network a little bit is we have all these different content properties and then you can go to brands and like you'll have power in selling ads or or co collaborations partnerships across all of them but the the trade-off though which i'm curious how you think about this is there's only one of you so like when you build your face page like you build rp rp nixon that's you but then how do you then build other pages where not all the eggs are in one basket and or even if you're okay with all the eggs being in one basket, but you want, you want to build additional properties so that you can kind of like compound scale your purchasing power with or your, your selling power with ad inventory. How do you then do that? You've, you built Metaverse and Aluna kind of first, I would say, or like in parallel and then built your own, which like worked really well because now you have those. But like if you were someone starting out and you're like, okay, I agree a faced page is probably more valuable than a faceless page. So I'm going to start with one, but then maybe you're, you're, you're seeing a plateau where you're like kind of maxing out on that one page and you think there's an opportunity somewhere else. How would you think about trying to add other content properties or media properties to that? What always, if you have the ability and if you have the talent, if you have you able to overcome the mental hurdles and build your own brand, I think you start there. And the, and the reason why is because funny enough is like my personal brand was actually more impactful. There was a time where Metaverse stagnated. I started making content and I would grow through my personal brand, original content. I would actually, I like resuscitated the growth of, of Metaverse. Not really the other way around. Like people, it's actually not, I'm not growing that much for Metaverse or Luna. Testament to that is TikTok. I'm actually bigger on TikTok than I am on Instagram. And I don't have other media pages on TikTok to be able to funnel. Um, so it's actually like, it's, it's much easier to build yourself as a brand first. So if, any, if, if you have the ability to do both, go 100% in on your own personal stuff. And you could also build your own personal page as somewhat of a media page. So you have like videos, you also have like carousels, cover, like uh, King's Letter does this pretty yeah, well. Yeah. I think you know him, right? Um, but yeah, man, it is, it is very, very good to have like one thing I, I have seen a lot of people grow on Instagram right now. This is, um, this is again, like if you want to grow on Instagram, this is a surefire way to do it. it costs money, but it, you know, like a lot of growth on Instagram now has got to be paid. Um, but if you're an individual, okay. So I've seen a lot of like individual brands grow this way where they're buying ads off all of these type of pages but they're like cleverly positioned. So it's not like, yo, go follow my boy Callaway. He's got a dope account. It'll be like five Instagram accounts to follow to get smarter in AI. Or here are the best Instagram accounts to follow to understand how to make more money. Like, so a lot of money. Oh, brand people guys, are paying they, to be on those lists. Lean. 
100 percent. these lists are never natural you know or sometimes they are natural but like one guy's paying to be in the list and then they'll just choose four other guys just to get that ad for that one guy to make it Uh, kind of like and so yeah if you really know this game man there's so many ways to do it there are a lot of accounts that that kind of like do this well uh i have a buddy that runs his account called the business magnets and, uh, and i've been talking to him we may run you know some ads for my personal i don't i don't i again like organic discovery is always the best for me um but yeah man if you want to really really grow fast on instagram and you got some money to spend um this will probably be your highest roi outside of just making really good effective content which is the game and it's paramount and if you can't do that there's no marketing or or ad or or, you know ad buy strategy that's that's going to make you i mean like you can grow fast but your account will be a graveyard your engagement yeah because this this is another thing that i've been thinking about is if you think about the spectrum of like organic to paid like I, I personally don't think paid ads work at all when you're trying to acquire a consumer of content in any vertical. So like paid ads work when you're trying to sell a product because like a, like an e-com mm-hmm. product that works really well and Facebook's like a testament to 100% that. Hundred percent agree. Like, con- and my, my thinking, agree. my logic is if 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 you're listening to this and you like don't agree, my logic is tricking with a paid ad you're basically tricking someone into following something that they didn't organically stumble upon so like if if your payment happens to surface something that they'd be interested in and you're just getting in front of them which is like the claim with ads then maybe they'll stick what you're saying is exactly right and where i can get to a million followers in a month i really i really could with like a 15 to 20k spend doing these um giveaway loops and celebrity giveaway loops and like these i'm sure you see these these guys all the time and they're usually based in dubai they're all like carbon copies they have like a million or two million followers they buy like 60k likes per post and then they hit you up selling these services you probably get them in your dm my dms flutter with them at all times um what happens is this is literally what happens the way that modern algorithms work is that they push out your content to a small subset of your followers um most of those followers, they weigh heavily the new followers because they want to see how your how your latest content performs with your newest followers. That gives a good gauge of what's interesting or, or what's not. So if your new followers are in because of some giveaway or because of some ad that led you there, they're not actually interested organically into your content. It's going to perform. It's not going to perform well with these guys in your account. What happens over time is it just dies out. And now you're a guy with a million or two million followers that can barely get any likes on your photos. You're now hiding the amount of likes that it gets on your photos because like you're embarrassed and you know that you're kind of like, you know, it's a bit of a fraud situation. Um, And if you're like a real player in this game that knows social media, well, it's so easy to spot. Like I know immediately when I see a guy with like 2 million followers, I know if it's real and I can literally usually in a glance, like a split second, I can understand if this guy did it the right way or if he did it through some shrewd tactic, either buying followers straight up or, or getting it through like these giveaway loops or whatever it might be. Um, and so as to what I, so you said it perfectly, like paid spend works really, really well, obviously with products, services, you know, brands, whatever it may be, but as an original content creator, it does not work well. Um, it, it actually can be counterintuitive to what you're trying to achieve. Now there are some shrewd ways to do it. Like the example that I just gave, like it could be like top five creators to follow. If you want to learn more about cars or whatever it may be and then you get on these lists and you put them on the right accounts that could work really well but you got to be shrewd and you got to be creative and ultimately you're really just trying to find people interested in what you have to say and what you yeah the example you gave it's almost like in the middle it's like it is paid but it's kind of like organic in a way right because like if that account was curating lists it's like an organic version they don't they don't put the paid promo they always skirt around it they make it look organic but it's all it's not it's funny it it is and yeah we should definitely get to the open eye stuff it's really funny how 
Like if you take a shortcut to buy paid traffic for content, even like the best case scenario is that you make a few hundred thousand dollars this year, but like you will plateau and fall off in subsequent years. So I just don't even get the logic of like, I guess people don't have that long term of mindset or they're just like, well, if I make a few hundred thousand, I'll just keep doing this over and over with different accounts. Like it'll work, but it just seems so much more intuitive that like if you build a real audience with real engagement, the compounding in year nine and 10 will outkick be 20 X, whatever you would have earned in year one. So yeah, just, it, it never made sense to me why people do that. The, the one thing I will say though is, which this is kind of fucked up, but like on some platforms like Twitter, for example, it's actually helpful to buy like five to 10,000 followers when you first start, just because this is the thing I hate most is when you're really, really, really small, people will not engage with your stuff or interact with your stuff just because there's some like weird psychological thing about being the first like, or like if, if others haven't seen this, then like if I'm seeing it, it must not be like whatever. There's this like group thing mentality, the same way where like if something's trending, getting a lot of likes, people will tend to like it even if they don't really like it just because it's like that's what people are doing. The inverse of that is true with a really small account. So I actually think a lot of these guys that are pretty big in like the tech Twitter space, they probably bought five to 20,000 followers at the beginning, not, not because they were trying to like, you know, not grow and shortcut, like they knew they were going to try to grow, but like they just wanted to get out from that like very, very beginning stage. Right, right. So there is a benefit there. I think it's really hard to grow initially. Five, five, five years ago, I would have agreed with you. I don't, I don't necessarily think I agree anymore just because of how these algorithms are set up. A new account, you actually have like some extra oh, I didn't, I didn't do that. You, right? And so, I <laughs> know, uh, no worries. And so, um, I mean, you know, one, one thing interesting I want to say on, on your thing, it is so true, man. If you see something and you don't have that social proof, even though it's like objectively, wait, this is good content. How does, how does this have any likes? It's actually a bit of a superpower. So I've been able to like identify up and coming creators who have like 500 followers. And I'm like, I know this guy's going to do well. I'll plant that seed. We'll become friends because I just know like I'm, I'm like I have like a, a bit of an eye for this on Metaverse. It's the same thing. You're going to see a lot of stuff that I post on Metaverse that you'll find nowhere else. And then once I post it, every other page hops on it, even like puberty, whatever, they all hop on it and like post the same thing. Yesterday was this good example where I came across, um, and again, my process is so messy. I'm on every single subreddit sorting by new. So I see a lot of things before anybody sees it. This is how I saw like the Kanye AI stuff. Um, and when I saw the Kanye AI stuff, it had like six upvotes. And I was like, wait, this is fuck, this is world breaking. This is crazy. And, and so the same thing with yesterday it was like a, a, a clip of this streamer. It had like 12 upvotes or something on, on Reddit of like his phone exploded and the guy has like a hundred followers on Instagram, like no followers on Twitter. But I was like, yo, this is great content. Let me throw it up on metaverse. I know it's going to do well. So now I've threw it up. It's probably going to end up at like 30 K likes and all these other pages are going to repost it. And so like having the ability to find like this up and coming content or creators or whatever it is before the, the social proof is on it, I think can be like a bit of a superpower and it's a bit of, it's, it's kind of a fun game. We should talk about too. that we, on a future pod. We should do a whole section on like, your pro your research process to find stuff because i feel like you you definitely are the deepest down certain rabbit holes and you find stuff that i don't i do not see anywhere else mine's like well like i said I, we're, we're productizing it i think this is going to be like our winning product and so like we're we're going to turn this into SaaS. like we're building a product to be able for any creator to be able to do it that's dope um we can talk about it more later but i actually think it's like it's the product i'm most proud of the only thing is it's taken a lot longer than than it because it's like the the data capture the data gather is is so much more expensive than we thought so we're trying to figure out ways to bring it down so we don't have to charge like a hundred dollars so month what or do you want to give like a little teaser uh, of what for, how it kind of works or you want to wait yeah so so basically it's like what we're trying to do is solve a huge problem that i have 
And I think if I, I love this as an entrepreneur, if you're if you're building a product to solve a problem that you have, more than likely it's going to be a winning product because it's going to solve uh, a big problem that a lot of other people have as well. So my thing is when I'm curating these accounts or when I'm like trying to figure out what to cover for like my personal content or whatever it is, um, I have my process is so messy. I'm following like different RSS feeds. I literally have a folder with like 30 subreddits and I'm sorting by new da 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 da. So we're productizing this. So we're, we're, we have like three different um, news APIs integrated. We have like Reddit integrated. Eventually, when we're able to afford it, we're going to get like the X uh, API integrated, et cetera, where depending on what kind of creator you are, um, say you're a tech creator, but also we're like building formulas for finance creators, beauty creators, like you name it, anything, sports creators, whatever. It's like the formulas that we're building and we're using AI, we're actually using um, ChatGPT API, but we might switch over to Llama, Llama 2. Um, that's a different story. Where now you're going to have like a feed of the pulse of the internet in your niche of what's trending, what's the highest velocity down to the hour. Um, and, and you're going to be able to modify these formulas. So if you're a tech creator, we'll give you like a pre-existing package of maybe 30 subreddits. We're giving you in real time what's 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 the most velocity, what's rising, what you should be covering. And like the whole goal behind this is to really productize my messy system and to package it up into one tidy feed. And then from there, we can, you can also use AI to generate different scripts um, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Is it a short form script? Is it a YouTube script? Is it a newsletter, da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's like the kind of starting off point, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save me a shit ton of time and so as an extension of that, I just feel like it, it'll save other creators, news creators or citizen journalists or whatever it may be. It may save them That's a lot sick. of time, too. So as you can see, I haven't I haven't packaged up like the elevator pitch yet, but but we'll No, but it sounds we'll it sounds there. like I mean, it's going to save me a ton of time, too. Like it's it sounds like you're solving the idea of kind of like curate curating interesting in a way. Like how do I curate interesting in my niche? That's Correct. that's pretty sick. That's very exciting. If If you had to. If you had to guess what, like try to try to poke a hole in it, because like it's easy to be optimistic, but like play the other side. If you had to guess what's the, what's the one or two things that would cause this not to work or like, you know, the product will work, but how, how fast things okay. move today. So like the, the best that we can get it is like down to the hour about, and, and just because otherwise it's just like incredibly expensive, um, right. To be like pinging all these APIs at the same time, da, 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 da. Um, we, I mean, we could do that, but then we'd have to charge like for it to, for the unit economics and shit to work. We'd probably have to charge like $200 a month. Nobody, probably nobody's going to be wanting to pay that. Um, but that's the only problem is like the open AI stuff as an example, this tool would not have been, this tool would not have been useful because what the only thing that's useful in that specific scenario is refreshing Twitter yeah. every two seconds, right? Because it was just moving so fast in real time. And so at that, at, it's like, if you have to wait, a news just broke on Twitter. And if you have to wait an hour for it to like hit Reddit and start trending or, you know, hit one of these, um, these news APIs, you're already a little bit behind. So for real time development, it's a so little So is the difference useful. between like this and something like Feedly is that uh, Feedly to set it up, you have to kind of like opt in to the publications that you want to track versus yours is more like you pick a category and it will integrate the right sources. Yeah, it's, nice. it's done that's, for you. That's dope. It's done for you. And, and we use AI. We have like our own algorithms to pick like what we that's think sick. you need to, what you, and you're going you know, to spin that out of cover. Aluna? Like do it separately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to spin it out of Aluna. We'll probably, Aluna Pro subscribers will probably be grandfathered in and just get like um, auto access. But um, we, we're calling it 
pulse right now, but we, we're having trouble finding like a clean TLD or a clean social handle, which I think is really important. So we may have to like make up a word. So we're, we're still like in the process there, but yeah, man, no, I don't think anything like it exists. Exploding topics is something that's close, but we had integrated their API before. It's not, it's a little delayed. It's a little behind. This one's a lot more real time and it's like, it understands the content game a lot more in the new ones there. So we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, when the alpha comes out, let, let you, uh, play with it i'd be curious to hear your yeah i'll run i'll run it through its paces um all right let, let's cover the opening eye stuff to close um and i actually think this is a good order because then if it's outdated it's outdated but it's at the end so it's all right yeah, yeah. oh it will be outdated by the time like i have a few i have this. a few hot takes slash questions about what happened but i want to hear yours because you were like on the ground in the twitter twitter verse like while this was happening like walk me through like your reactions like through every step like you know like as a different piece of news came in like what were you thinking and how that change over like from friday to monday yeah i mean when i when i saw sam altman was ousted at first it was the the first tweet i saw about it was um greg eisenberg actually he said like um he was like sam altman has just been fired from open ai and he tried to make the point where it's like this is why the traditional uh, sort of venture capital route is flawed. You're you're you know a prisoner to your own company. You could be kicked out of your own company. And I was like, did he make a? I was like, I think he made a typo. I was about to like hit him up, like, bro, I think you made a typo. There's no way Greg Altman was fired from OpenAI. And then all of a sudden, brrr, it was just everywhere, and it went crazy. Uh, and I was actually shocked, man. It was actually the first time in a while, maybe ever, that a tech story made me audibly gasp. I was literally like, what? You know, like one of those, like what? Like it was an audible reaction. I don't remember the last time a tech story made me uh, maybe react that way. And then from there, unfortunately, while you were uh, a normal human living it up, enjoying your life with your wife in India at a, at a lavish wedding, I was here refreshing Twitter all weekend because um, I got I got hooked to the story, man. Because again, like there's so many, the, the story is such a good story, first of all, because it covers such an impactful world-changing technology right? Like these are the stewards of a technology that could literally alter our species forever. Like, so that, that was the underpinning, the undertones. Um, and I don't know, man, it was just wild. I mean, like you were traveling during the time. How, how did, how did it affect you? So like, I you, saw, uh, what so what, what, what time on Friday did the initial news come? It was like 3 PM Eastern ish, something like that. It, yeah, it was like, yeah. Cause it was before market closed, which was also peculiar, right? So like, I was, was so, so India's like 10 hours ahead. So it was like 1 AM Friday night. Mm-hmm. going into saturday so i was still awake i think i saw it on twitter but i was so delirious and jet like i saw the initial thing come through like sam sam <laughs> yeah, altman yeah. out at at uh opening eye and that was all i saw so i was kind of like what the like this is weird but like i whatever i go to bed like because I, I wasn't following it but when i woke up the next day i was just looking at twitter like holy shit like this is an absolute shit storm and immediately I, a lot of people have said like their first reaction was like, oh, it must be like some like sex crime type thing. Like there'd be no reason why. My mind, you thought that? I kind of thought that jump too. There. Yeah. I, 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 for some reason, it didn't register um, why. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even come to a conclusion of like why this happened. I was kind of just like, he must have left and they, and this is like a formality of like, he must have wanted to leave or like he's, he was done. I don't know. I, did, I wasn't really tracking it that well because I was, because I, you know, because it was like nighttime when the, the daytime things were happening. But Right away, like after starting reading it, because I read a lot on Sunday, is the is the latest working theory, like the real theory, that Adam D'Angelo was on the board. He he's the founder of Quora. Quora has Poe. Poe has like a chatbot network, whatever. 
when Sam Altman did Dev Day for OpenAI two weeks ago, they basically GPTs is basically like a straight rip of Quora or of Poe, and the it, like the working theory I think is. Adam D'Angelo voted, they, they voted Sam out and they were like, oh, whatever, like this is not gonna be that big of a deal. Like it'll be a transitionary period. They did not anticipate the shitstorm that was coming. And the reality is like, if they are founders of a shell skeleton company, if nobody works there and there's no IP, then it's worth nothing. And so then they freaked out and tried to basically undo it. That's my, that was my take. I, what's your take on like what actually happened? Cause that's, that's one of the big mysteries, right? Is like how they were convinced to vote him out. Dude, this was what makes this story so compelling is nobody knows what the hell. Still, nobody knows. Not even Satya Nadella knows. Not even this guy that they installed as CTO, Emmett Shear, knows. Nobody knows why the hell they decided to kick Sam out. It's still a mystery. And these three board members, uh, besides Ilya, yeah, they're still what? silent. Yeah. They haven't said anything. They're still like radio. It's fuck. And so the reason why I immediately, I was like, this has to be something nefarious or sinister is because any time that this has happened, like ever in the history of business is because they're trying to front run a story or they're trying to get ahead of, of some, like some sort of scandal, right? Especially it was like, because if it was anything else, if it was anything innocent, it wouldn't have played out the way, it just wouldn't have. It would have been like more timely. Uh, the statements would have prepared a little bit more in advance. Like it would have just been a lot more, like the choreography behind it would have just been a lot more fluid, right? But it was just rushed out, obviously, because like everybody was taken aback. Like everybody was just treating real time. Like nobody could piece anything together. It was obviously very rushed out. Not even their investors knew. Like nobody knew except for these four board members. Nobody still knows. Um, that's what I found peculiar. You, and you're, you're saying persuasion. I am, I, first of all, how was D'Angelo on this board? Like ChatGPT is an existential threat to Quora. Did nobody, did nobody think about this conflict of interest? Like, how's this guy on the board of a company that's going to yeah, wipe this company I, that's, out? That's the thing I don't understand. Right? Is like, that's, even if, like, even if they knew, yeah, it was a conflict. And also, like, so basically, are there, there's seven board members. There's Sam and Greg. There's, I thought there, I thought I think there there's, were six. There was four. They kicked Sam out. I think they, like, kicked Sam and Greg out as board members. And So, and there was there only, so there's only six to start. Yeah, so 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 yeah, these other people I, I just so. don't. Okay, so that that was one piece of it though is like what the fuck happened? Like that's still a mystery, we'll say. So then I thought so I was catching up on this on Sunday and I I was seeing people tweeting like in real time on Sunday were like okay, the public opinion it wants Greg or wants Sam back. Sam wants to be back. Investors want Sam back. Satya Nadella wants Sam back. Everyone wants Sam back. So like they're, they're negotiating with Sam and like I, the obvious assumption was he's going to come back. He's going to fire these idiots on the board and like restructure. So this never happens again. That's kind of where I thought it was. So then I boarded my next plane. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. But then they don't get it done. They hire Emmett Shear, who's like, was the CEO of Twitch, but like arguably a random hire in this case. And like, it almost seems like the board somehow still has power. It's like digging their heels in. Like, like what do you make of this? Because it, it's crazy. Pure it's defiance, crazy. right? But like yeah. Ilya, dude, something. Yeah. It's crazy to me, dude. It's 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 it, this is what makes it like the story of the year. Nobody can. And now the D'Angelo thing. The one thing, maybe he was on the board because I do. Some, some I think it was Kara Swisher. Somebody made the point that him and uh, Altman were together in a YC batch. Maybe something like he's that. OG, like yeah. He's OG. He's OG internet. Stuff. The other thing, the 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 other thing that I'm thinking is like Quora's data set is so valuable. So maybe Altman realized this and it's like, yo, join the board. We're going to use your data set. At least you have some ownership, this and that. Maybe that's also, 
maybe ChatGPT's like weights, like the inference is, is really weighted towards the Quora data set and maybe D'Angelo's protective. I have no idea. But the fact that he was even on the board is such a conflict of interest, I think it's weird. Um, well, someone was saying but, the initial board. Yeah, dude. Like I, I, Elon, Reed Hoffman. Like the initial board of this when it was founded was like dope heavy hitters. But like over the years, each of them quit for various reasons. And that's why this board was like made up of this yeah. cast of cast of jesters, I feel like. If, if Altman would have been reinstated immediately that same weekend, I would have thought maybe there is some 4D interdimensional chess happening because it's too perfect for like Microsoft and OpenAI and Sam Altman. It's like, okay, now there's no longer a nonprofit. They've restructured. Now it's a for-profit venture. It's wholly owned as a subsidiary of Microsoft. Like it works out perfectly for everybody involved, right? So I was like, that's almost too convenient. Um, but yeah, the, the other thing that's interesting about the story, I want to get your take is like this idea the way that it's kind of trying to be positioned, but there is like some infighting. It's not like a clear like branding work yet, but like people were, were saying Ilya really just cares about ushering this technology in in the safest manner to benefit all humanity. And it seemed like the other party was like just very capitalist. This was one of Elon's, you know, Elon was on the founding team of OpenAI. This was one of his criticisms. It's like they're no longer uh, a, a nonprofit. They have pure capitalist intentions. And Elon actually predicted that Microsoft was going to suck them up and it was open AI was just going to become Microsoft, which was funny. I don't know if you saw that clip, but how do you, how do you, what do you make of that? It, do you see it that way that there's like one camp that's fighting for the future of humanity and the safe deployment of this AI? There's another camp that's just like, yo, we got to make money. We have fiduciary duty, da, 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 da. So was it innocent? Do you think there's any chance that it was innocent of the board with real altruistic intentions in mind? Or was it just maybe? A power but play? I think there was someone on the board. So I, I do believe Ilya thinks that way, where he's like, he is in it for the effect of humanity, and he may he like. There's obviously two in his mind. There's two sides. There's like for humanity and for profit. I think Sam Altman yeah. cares legitimately cares about both, and so maybe Sam Altman has has done something that Ilya would that would open the channel in Ilya's mind to think maybe Sam is leaning capitalist. And it could have been OpenAI Dev Day. It could have been Sam's out there raising money for hardware and for chips. And for, like Sam's basically like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Let's hit it hard, put the gas down and like go as hard as we can. But I think there was someone in Ilya's ear that was telling him that. And that's why I think that's why I think Adam D'Angelo was doing. I think Adam D'Angelo had personal motivation and was using the threat of like, capitalist greed as a way to turn Ilya on his side. That's what I, that's what I think happened because if it was truly just the other four board members were just like, Oh, Sam's getting a little too capitalistic. Like we should like, this is too dramatic of a reaction for that, you know, or you would have a conversation with him, right? You could still outvote him. If you four believe that you would sit down with Sam and Greg and be like, yo, is this true? Cause if so, we're going to outvote you. Like they still had the power. So the fact that it happened in the middle of the night, the ha fact that Sam didn't have any heads up, that leads me to believe that somebody, and I think it was Adam D'Angelo, had to make this happen in secrecy before Ilya was like, before Ilya talked to Sam and changed his mind. You know what I'm saying? So Right, right. Now, how do you, so, so let me ask you a question. Let me set the kind of stage for this because it was such a dramatic shakeup that a lot of people were suspecting what if like AGI was achieved internally, right? And then you'll have these people on Twitter that are like, if you actually think they've achieved AGI, you're fucking more on this and that. But then you have the people, and I, I don't know, because I'm not, if I, if I had this level of intellect, I would be getting $10 million a year compensation packages from these companies to do the research. But the people who are getting these $10 million a year comps, Carpathy, uh, Carmack, 
um, you know, some of the most renowned AI researchers in the world, they're all convinced that AGI is happening like this decade, let alone 20, 50, 100 years from now. Some people are, some people think it'll never happen. But so I'm looking at the, the top brass, like the most well-paid, well-respected AI researchers in the world. And they are generally of the mindset that AGI is coming as soon as this decade. Is, is there like some possibility? I mean, like it's like, a lot of people's minds went there because it was so dramatic of a shakeup. It's like, they have to be like protecting something that could, that is like species altering. Right. I mean, it's possible. I, I think about that. That's where my mind first went was that the reason they got rid of Sam is because there was some like either major security flaw or like something happened that couldn't be undone, which like, I guess you could put this in that category. It's possible. I think Sam said that didn't Sam say there were like three or four times that he's his mind has been blown and like one one happened the other week. So like yes, it's possible yeah, yeah. that this is like the AGI 1.0 is like where they've gotten. And it's also possible that they did have a conversation and Sam made some throwaway comment of like, yo, we can, don't worry, like we'll be able to regulate this and like keep it safe. But like we gotta, we have a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to run. And like maybe that was the trigger for them to think he was being too capitalistic. It could have been like a million things, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's either AGI or Adam D'Angelo is pissed that Quora is going to be f- screwed, which to me, that seems like too small of a thing to like blow up the biggest company in the world. <laughs> I, I think you're onto something, man. I think you're onto something because check this out. So Altman tweeted on the on October 24th, right? So let's say, I don't know, a couple weeks before all this went down. You said maybe D'Angelo was just master persuader. And Altman tweeted I'm going to read it uh, verbatim here. I expect AI to be capable of superhuman persuasion well before it is superhuman at general intelligence, which may lead to some very strange outcomes. That's a weird tweet to author, right? It's like that's a little bit too random for it not to be referring to something specific or some some sort of subtweet. And it's like kind of ominous, right? Which may lead to some very strange outcomes. This superhuman persuasion i don't know food for thought i thought that it, was interesting it is, it it is. There, there's, there's two other things i wanted to run by you the first is dude how baller is satya nadella like basically basically what the, the way it sits right now and i don't think this is going to hold because it's just too good for microsoft to be honest but like basically where it sits now is satya nadella wins both ways he basically has if open ai survives this he still owns 49%. And now he has Sam and Greg and like 500 of OpenAI's employees working at Microsoft to basically make sure that OpenAI works. So like status quo, plus he gets all that talent inside Microsoft. If OpenAI fails because of this, like if it dies, then he now has the model weights, the code, the, the Azure compute, and the OpenAI team. He can just rebuild the whole thing within Microsoft, own the whole thing for profit, and install Sam as CEO, or he could spin it out, have Sam be CEO, or if OpenAI dies, he could go buy the rest of it for scraps and put Sam back in and rebuild it. Like he basically can't lose now. So for that reason, I feel like a, he wins this whole thing. I I was going to make a video about this basically with this storyline that like he wins, but I just, you know, the only con of that is I just don't see a world where Sam Altman sits and works at Microsoft. Like when Steve Jobs was fired from Apple, would he? It, would, could you see him going and being a VP at IBM? Like, not a chance. There's no way. So I just don't think Sam. Why would Sam agree to that? I don't. Under, I don't understand that part. What do you think about that? I think that by the time this episode is released, which would hopefully be yeah, on hopefully. Thursday, right? Thanksgiving. Are Thursday we going to release it Thanksgiving Friday, morning? Friday, I guess. Friday. Whatever. 
Um, I my and yeah, I'm. It, the holidays may throw a wrench here, but I do think Altman's going to be reinstated back as the OpenAI CEO. It's just so messy otherwise, man. Like, f- first of all, like what you said, they do own the weights. They do own the code. They do own the IP. They do own GPT-5 that's in, under development. It's like, it's not that easy to just build a new core because there's going to be so many legalities. Are you using some of the same data sets? Are you using the same code? How does that conflict? Like, th- this is one thing that's real disappointing and a little bit discouraging with this whole story, especially for like the effective acceleration crowd is like they are going to slow down a little bit because so much of this now has to play out in court. There is just like so many complexities and structurally, I just don't know uh, how it's going to work. But I agree with you. I don't think Altman, Altman is like the top guy right now, right? He's like the most sought after, uh, maybe right under like Elon or whatever, uh, most like sought after entrepreneur in the world and and, and most celebrated. I, I don't think he wants to be like a number two or three to anybody. He's not going to be like a VP or, or like you said, even a leader of a uh, uh, holy uh, sovereign subsidiary in Microsoft. Like he wants to be the guy. I, I think he goes back to OpenAI. Uh, OpenAI is not going to survive if 730 of their 750 employees. It, it's just like, why not? It's so much cleaner to go back to OpenAI. By the way, there's going to be crazy lawsuits from these heavy hitters, these killers in the Valley who have $10 billion in OpenAI. They're all going to come after the board. I just don't, I just... I think it all kind of goes back to normal. The board goes away and it actually works out perfectly for Microsoft and OpenAI because now they're full steam ahead and they have it how they wanted it from the beginning. Um, that, that is, yeah, I that think is it's, it's going to have to be that way because my, my, the other point I wanted to bring up was like, if, if things hold how they are, basically every employee at OpenAI gets completely fucked, right? Because they come to OpenAI, they get equity packages, they watch this unicorn rip, they're like, holy shit, I'm gonna be set forever. And then the only scenario where they don't is if OpenAI goes to zero, and the only way OpenAI goes to zero is if they all leave and <laughs> and go work at Microsoft. So like, it has, yeah, like, dude. I think because of that and that alone, I bet the board brings Sam back. Because there, it's, it's one of two options, right? It's either It's either the board, the four of them, decide because right now it's probably a power struggle right it's Ilya, mira adam d'angelo and like a rando yeah. so right now it's probably a stalemate two and two adam d'angelo and the rando are like we're not bringing him back like they're digging their heels in probably for pride it's so weird just so, so weird so why e- are they still either silent they get it's just fucking persuaded to turn and then they bring sam back and it's all fine or they can't be persuaded open ai goes down to nothing microsoft buys the whole thing for scraps out of bankruptcy and then restarts it with sam but like, how does that work? Does it get recapitalized to the employees? Like, does their equity get wiped? I don't really know how that works. But like right now, as it's sitting, if I'm an employee at OpenAI, after doing all that work and building like a once in a generation company, I'm worried. <laughs> like until you see Sam come back, I'm worried. Yeah, man. I mean, they were, you know, they're probably going to raise another round at like a $90 billion valuation. These guys were going to make a fortune off secondary and they were going to be set for life. But you know, what's interesting about that too, is they're all willing to drop ship and follow Sam wherever he goes. Like the amount of loyalty that's on display from the open AI team, that is a testament to Sam, Greg, like their leadership, right? That is unbelievable. And what the board did wrong is they mistook power for leadership. And this, dude, I see this play out all the time too, man. The court of law is way less important than the court of public opinion in a, in a lot of instances. This was one of those where they thought they wielded power. It's like, wait a second, you don't wield power because you don't, you, you, you're not beloved by the people, right? They will out you. Like you're trying to commit a coup, they will coup you right back. Like it, it's funny. It's um, in my piece of content, I was like, I use that quote, you come for the king, you best not miss. It was like that. It was, um, it was, it's actually, it's very dramatic the way that they played out where they came to kill Sam and they killed themselves. Um, 
And again, is because they mistook p- power for leadership, power for real influence. Again, so many tropes to this story. It's man. the this best. Is it's the best story. I don't know why the, the thumbs movie. down keeps coming, but uh, <laughs> I'm pumped to see how this ends up. Um, but yeah, by the time we record next week, I'm sure there'll be a bunch more news. So we'll keep people posted on that as it sits now. Microsoft, I think Microsoft is the biggest winner. Sam Allman will be fine regardless of where he goes. I think the board members, even the ones, even Ilya and Mira are like looking dumb right now, to be honest, like for, for getting swallowed into this. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I hope that, I was kind of worried that if if this holds, a lot of the applications and softwares built on top of OpenAI, which are most, will they slow down like will they be you know will there be a gate put on the api like is that that, i feel like this will materially affect the entire ai industry if it's not put back to normal you know yeah man i mean look there was a lot of loyalty in the in the developer community to to really like sam altman um even now like we're we're a very small app but we even have like contingency plans do we need to start looking at at building on on claude or, or llama like i said so we might build our new tool pulse on llama just because I do think now, like with this fiasco, it's going to be more more important to be building an open source software. Um, and I'm a big proponent of that. And so, yeah, I mean, OpenAI could effectively die. Like if Sam Altman is not reinstated and the 750 employees go, there is, I mean, I'd assume because Microsoft is still, Satya said they're still going to honor like the partnership with OpenAI. Maybe there's like some, I don't know how they'll do it. I'm, assume, I'm assuming that they'll find a way to like keep that uptime going. But there is that little bit of doubt that creeps in as a builder, as a developer, as a customer of OpenAI. Um, and I don't think it becomes like the de facto leader LLM anymore. I think it'll be whatever Sam and, and GDB, Greg, um, build underneath Microsoft. Maybe it becomes Anthropic is going to be a big winner here. Facebook with Llama, Google, Bard, et cetera. Um, but yeah, man, there's definitely some worry there. And I've already seen it on Twitter. A lot of people who have like these massive, massive applications with tens of thousands of customers are wondering, you know, what the hell are we going to do? We got to figure out contingency plans. Um, again, man, it's just like another piece out of the million that make this story just phenomenal. It's crazy. There's so many did you see? Parts, did you so see much that? at stake. So they, they fired, they out Sam on Friday. Then on, on the weekend, two things happened. First, they the board tried to go to Anthropic and merge. Did you see that? So that's, cr- that's crazy. I saw that. I saw that. So the that's information And then the other thing is, nuts. Emmett yeah. Shear was the third CEO. They went to two others who both said no. So like, yeah. dude, this is, yeah. everything that comes out is just like, this is just the biggest hodgepodge, like the biggest shit show. Like, I don't know why, this is an $80 billion company. That that one didn't make any sense, man. Why why would they, why would Anthropic want to merge, first of all? And second, why would the guy take the, it just, bro, it doesn't make any sense. Like we have to know what the hell D'Angelo was thinking. Cause I do feel like now it's become clear. He is kind of like the, he has the to be, architect right? isn't, of this whole the, thing. Isn't the other board member? He like, has to be. Because Ilya's already expressed regret. The other one's like a Georgetown professor. I don't know how much. She, and she's actually funny enough, bro. She's jo- wife, yeah, Joseph that, exactly. Gordon-Levitt's wife. And so when I asked, asked Chad GPT who should play Sam Altman, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I tweeted that, and somebody was like, well, Gordon-Levitt will never play it because his wife is literally on the board who instrument who who architected the ousting of Sam. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. Like, it's such a small world, man. It's so crazy. That, that What's was your prediction funny. for how long it's going to take for things to be... Oh, you said by Friday, you think? So sometime in the next couple of days, they're going to put it back to normal? 
Well, because it's a holiday, I don't know if it throws a wrench in it, but here, here's another thing I want to ask you. It's like a lot of people are, are uh, drawing parallels to Steve Jobs, who was famously ousted um, by Apple. The only difference is Apple wasn't like this is the first example I've ever seen where CEO founder was ousted from a company at the top of their game with the most euphoric, meteoric rise that's ever been seen in tech, the fastest growing product in tech history yeah. by a huge margin. It's like, it's just very, there's no real examples. There's no parallels you could draw from that. But like Steve Jobs was the closest. Steve Jobs came back 12 years later after a stint with Next and all this other stuff. I wonder if social media was around at the time, would there have been this outpouring, public outpouring of support from customers and evangelists and fans and investors, et cetera? Like what if Steve Jobs, would he have come back to Apple way sooner? That is. That's an interesting I feel question. Like I don't know if you have any thoughts it's there. It's possible that he, they, they may have undone the situation right away, like we're saying with Sam Altman. I feel like the difference is, like you were saying, is because Apple is so much smaller, would the magnitude of support, even even with like the Twitter sphere being so like visceral in terms of like how how rapid shit gets echoed around, I don't know how, I don't know relatively how big Apple was at the time, but I, like you said, I think it was pretty small. So would there have been like enough volume of support to actually move the needle or or not because like was the legend of steve jobs right. the legend at that True. point like what what do you think people thought of him then i, I feel like he True. might not have been known as like eh, he probably still was known as like the product genius right because they, they had some computers out yeah i don't know man this was like you know way before i was paying attention to this stuff right so i, I just don't know i don't know what like the temperature was of the first of all like tech culture i think was a lot smaller anyway i i, I really don't know i can't like speak on it um but I do want to I do want to end with because I have uh, Father Duty in a little bit here. But I do want to uh, end with first of all, you, you got to make that Satya video because I was thinking the same thing the entire time. I pictured Satya as like Marlon <laughs> yeah. Brando, like Godfather, like he was the guy in the room, like that energy, like you know, like kind of like that killer in the room laying down the law. Um, that would be an interesting reel. I'd love to watch that. And then speaking of reels, last episode we sparked this idea of like that debate reel and we put one up i think the feedback was good i think we need to work on it being a little more natural like conversational and, and less like presentation style but the feedback was dope and i'm excited to Dude, keep we had a lot that, of that like really interesting people in the comments who i would say don't normally comment like they normally engage with our stuff but they don't normally comment they were like we want more of this so i saw floster damas yeah. i don't know if you you're an edm fan but floster damas was in there um a bunch of like our creator friends so he's working on oh, like an he? AI okay, that's probably well. why he, he he follows both of us yeah i was i was dming with yeah. him i gotta, I gotta that, like, so yeah, i yeah. think there was dope, i dope. mean anytime you make something that's novel and people who you respect who don't normally come out of the woodwork come out that's like a really good sign that you're onto something so i'm pretty stoked for that i think after yeah. the holidays we should definitely maybe like next week experiment with with another one. I agree though that when I watch it back, like I definitely cringe totally. at myself a lot. I think most people cringe at themselves, but it, there was, it, it could be 10 times better if we were able to make the, the transitions feel more seamless, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, 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 I'm pumped. we'll I'm crack pumped that hundred percent. And I'm excited to like bring it, like make it a format, like have to like, let's bring on like grateful and Jeff on like one of the episodes and like two other guys, maybe we cover something outside of our niche and we bring in two like prominent creators in that niche. And like, we're, I think it's a format that we can experiment a lot with. And I think we'll crack it, man. I think we'll get to the point yeah, where it it's like, we, uh, yeah, we, we're like almost fine tuning for it a little bit. like being the ones that started that. Cause that people will rip it. I'm sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped a hundred percent. So we should do, I mean, honestly, Maybe we should try doing another one uh, t tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, let me let me noodle on, 
Let me noodle on hey, before what, the holidays. What's the most compelling thing? I saw. I was going to ask you about TL Draw because I know you made a video. I want to make a video about that next week when I get back and like my voice is not shot. What? What's that? Is that basically like you draw? You can draw a web page essentially. Like what's what's novel about that? Yeah, I mean it's it's very um, it's obviously like very rudimentary. So here's another thing about creating content around AI. You all, you you get people in the comments that are like, "Oh, it's just a calculator. This is dumb." And I'm like, "You're missing the point." It's like this is the first time that this has been possible. This is something. Um, so so to 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 lay out the the kind of foundation is, you're able to sketch up. You're able to turn a sketch into a functional piece of software. And my example was I sketched out uh, a tipping calculator app. And then I, I just, you, you hit the button to generate it to, to make it real. And it turns into a piece of code that you can interface with, like a working calculator app. I thought that was pretty incredible because a really good developer could probably put that together in 30 minutes, right? It's a very simple tipping calculator app, whatever. But now you can do it in one minute. And that's pretty incredible. And so I've seen examples on Twitter that are a lot better. Like people are creating like games, very simple, you know, like Pong style games, et cetera. But the fact that you can do this now is pretty breakthrough. You, you haven't like you, you wizard wizard. I think you've covered this, this tool before you were able to turn uh, a sketch into an editable design file. But now this takes it a step further where it's, it's, it's an actual prototype, like an actual piece of software. And so you get people in the comments that are like, this is this is dumb. This is rudimentary. This is, this is nothing. This is going to change nothing. I'm like, you're missing the bigger picture. You're missing. You're not understanding where this is all going. So it's like probably, probably the same crowd of people who, if they were alive in the seventies, when Atari first came out and Pong first came out and they were like, this isn't like, it's like, you're missing the point. This is leading to something a lot greater in 30 years. You're going to have Grand Theft Auto six, you know? Um, And so I'm looking at it the same way where as this technology progresses, I don't think it'll ever replace code. They'll always, obviously not. Like I'm, I'm, like no code to me will never be at the level. Like it'll always be B, like the B player, right? It'll always, it'll never be as good as if you were to put a team of of good developers together. Um, but this will get to the point where all like kind of low hanging fruit will be um, will be generated via AI. It won't be like little simple calculator apps. It'll be a little more complicated, and maybe in a few decades. Maybe at that point you can come up with like really complicated uh, gaming environments and stuff like that. I don't know, but um, that's the gist of this tool. So I'm I'm honestly super pumped to see how it plays out and develops over the, like the next five to ten years because I I'm really bullish on this technology. And that's basically is this a this is basically a wrapper on top of like GTP Vision or is this something else? To be honest, I don't I didn't see the architecture behind it. I don't know yeah. what I'm assuming it's it's that. Um, but but it's the first it's, like it's the first that I've seen of it, right? I know a lot of, yeah, I've seen a lot of murmurs. I, I know like startups are tackling this. I think Wizard is going to be one of the ones that do. I honestly think that like eventually Figma, Framer, all the big design tools will just have this on board. Um, but I think it's novel. And I'm imagine to see I'll it, let you guys see imagine out. Figma in a you can both do conversational design and then one click design to design to app where it's like there's no there's no reason to do anything exactly you don't even really need to know design really if you do conversation like does that look good yes or no and then and then it's built already bro well you you know the framer like you can just say i want a web i want a i want a dark sleek website for a barber shop i want these elements on board i want the but i want it flat design you can do this already with framer and they give you the editable design eventually it'll be taken one step further where it'll give you to you in code and you won't have to do any if you don't want any like physical design work it'll be conversational it's like can you make the buttons rounder 
Um, can you make the background a little bit darker? Can you put a video of snow in the background, like underneath these elements? It'll be like conversational design. I think that's coming sooner than people think, which is why I'm really excited about this technology. So like I said, it's like if you want to build a simple web page for your business, maybe you have a barbershop and you just want the hours of operation, maybe you even want a booking system, you're soon going to be able to do this conversationally, I think probably within the next two years. Granted, people are like, oh, well, you'll never be able to build Grand Theft Auto with this. I'm like, yeah, correct. Probably not. Maybe not until 2060. Um, but that, but you're missing it's the a point, pyramid, like know, the like, stuff at the bottom, which um, is the basic stuff. There's so much more need for that than exactly, another Grand man. Theft Auto. That's dope, man. Exactly. Right, this has been a sick conversation. Thanks for listening. If you're if you're here this far, make sure to like and subscribe. We're growing. This is episode three. Stay tuned. Weekends. Let's go, man. I don't care. You know, it's it's gonna be a it could be a slow climb. We Hell don't yeah. care, man. We'll be here for episode three hundred. Yeah. All right. Probably sooner out. than later.